the Slaughter in May podcast. The pandemic has forced everyone to work from home, of course, for at least a period of time, except, of course, for essential workers. This has disrupted the way people work and interact with one another, but perhaps just as importantly, it's made many people and organisations reevaluate what it takes for people to work efficiently, happily and productively, including organisations where many staff were working remotely before the pandemic. In this podcast, we'll try to tackle the issues around social cohesion and corporate culture as we embark into the hopefully final stage of the pandemic. I'm Jan Putness, a partner at Slaughter and May, as are the three colleagues who are joining me, Jeff Twentyman, Natalie Cook and Phil Linard. And we'll attempt to define what we mean by social cohesion in hopefully a useful way, to explore how it's been jeopardised in some senses by the pandemic, and to provide some pointers on how to reinvent it. And finally, perhaps just to ask the question why it matters to the legal function of many of our clients with whom we deal. So let's start by asking what we think social cohesion is. And if you're interested in this kind of thing, you could look it up and find that the concept of social cohesion is in fact quite difficult to define. It's been debated since at least the late 19th century. Nowadays, you could turn to the OECD definition, which defines a socially cohesive community as one that works towards the well-being of all of its members, fights exclusion, creates a sense of belonging, and offers its members the opportunity of upward mobility. I personally quite like defining it in terms of the whole being more than the sum of its parts. The idea that we're not just a collection of individuals or even a collection of teams. We're something more effective and more worthwhile than that when we do things in a collaborative and inclusive way. So let's start to unpack this. Um, Phil, what, what are your views here on collaboration and inclusion in this context? Well, well, Jan, I agree that there are various strands to social cohesion, but for me, as you say, at the heart of it in a corporate environment, we usually find employees collaborating and working together. And for businesses to thrive, interpersonal relationships are clearly crucial. How they manifest themselves is, is one of the questions that we'll be tackling as we go through this podcast. But collaboration is also key to fighting exclusion. And if we let members of teams work in isolation, without interacting with others, we're going to risk breaking that collaboration, that social cohesion that's so important. And Jeff, how about you? I mean, do you have a take on that particular comment? Well, actually, you, you, one of the things you said was a, an element of social cohesion was a sense of belonging and shared shared values. And I think that resonates with me. I mean, value, values can be officially defined or they can be unspoken. I mean, they have to be sort of clear enough that people largely agree on them but I think they enable people to have a sense that they belong to a common enterprise so your the, the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts idea and that therefore they're, they're part of, of of a community with a with a common purpose and come on to talk about that in a little bit more detail later but I think those that sort of clarity of of value and and purpose and of course the importance of friendship amongst colleagues is one of the ways in which people are inspired to work and excel themselves, but also in a more mundane way, just aim at the same objectives uh, through the guardrails, if you like, of common values. 
Yeah, I think actually another important part of social cohesion is the opportunity for upward mobility. And when I talk about upward mobility here in a corporate context, what I really mean is career progression. So social mobility here could be about mentoring, training and development, passing on best practice and knowledge, and really giving the employee in question the opportunity to put what they've learned into practice and to progress. There's also an element of levelling here. So looking to ensure where possible that each person has the same resources and opportunities available to them to progress. And of course, upward mobility can be really improved where both the employee and the manager are motivated to see the employee's growth and having in mind what each person's next step is. So the key here is communication, which means encouraging open and honest feedback both ways, with leaders being accessible, not only for learning, but also to help bring perspective. And it's really important to ensure that upward mobility isn't hampered by the new ways of working. And Natalie, what are the things that you think have been jeopardised by the change in working, working practices that we've seen in the pandemic, despite all that? Well, I think at least for some people, that levelling that I just mentioned that can help with upward mobility may have been affected by the new ways of working. It's clearly one thing to work easily from home if you've already built connections with colleagues and have a good home office set up. But quite another if you don't have optimum home working environment or if you are having to get to know people from scratch over a screen. There's also at least a risk in more hybrid environments that managers inadvertently favour those they see physically in person. You know, it might just be easier for a manager to pop their head physically round the door and speak to somebody in person. So it's really important to avoid an out of sight, out of mind situation. But, you know, it's not been all doom and gloom. Part of upward mobility is, of course, learning and development, which is in some ways been transformed by the remote working setup. Training has been rapidly digitalised, offering new platforms and channels to engage employees from e-learning modules to live webinars. Businesses have found ways to keep their teams up to speed. Now, on-the-job learning has also had to change throughout the pandemic, with senior people having to make an extra effort to expose more junior colleagues to work. But that said, I think the onus needs to be on everyone involved. So both the employee and the manager have a role to play in maintaining proper communication lines regarding opportunities, bandwidth, projects and deadlines. And on a positive note, flexible working may have allowed those who would have otherwise left a career or not pursued a higher position within their organisation due to office attendance requirements to advance further in their career. And there may also be a reduction in presenteeism, so long as corporate cultures don't promote it whilst working from home, which shows the importance of adapting corporate culture to the new working world. But Jeff, what's your views on the shared experiences and networking aspects of this? Well, I think it's interesting. Though, it's the, the experience we've we've had has been you know, we've all been shocked by the pandemic in a way, although it's becoming, you know, mundane uh, now in a way, um, and it, the suddenness of it. But, you know, it, of course, everyone experienced lockdown in their own unique way. And I think, you know, that means that we need to be uh, sympathetic and empathetic towards uh, people's experiences. But also there is an opportunity there. And of course, getting together and going through work experiences side by side if you like the shared suffering of 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 what we what we do can be a powerful way to get a team to have that shared experience and therefore to bond and networking inside the organization is obviously easier if you're in the building and there's the sort of coincidental or less formal uh, ways of of interacting with 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 each other which which obviously promote people's development and you know engagement but then on the other hand 
you know, the time out of the office, there's been some huge benefits of informality and people have, you know, been able to interact with work in a, to a schedule that suits them. People can start to think about the work that does itself best in the office as opposed to work that can be done best at home. We've been given each of our colleagues an insight into our non-work life. So I think there's been a sort of an increase uh, in, in humanity. And I think, you know, one of the challenges and one of the really interesting opportunities for everyone is to try and capture those positives that we've experienced in this, um, if you like, constrained or, or, or imposed uh, period and environment and bring those back so that into this sort of hybrid working environment so that we get the benefits of the formality plus the informality. And I think, you know, that brings me on to, you know, one of the subjects I feel very strongly about, which is that it's not it's sufficient just to say, well, we all need to go back in the office now. I, I don't think that's really going to, to to wash. People have demonstrated through responsibility and commitment that it's perfectly feasible. And in fact, in many respects, very beneficial for people to work uh, out, out of the office. But I think what we do need to do is to try to maximise the benefits of face to face time. Think about working patterns, thinking about how you can make best use of people's time in the office, give them reasons to be in the office and give them reasons to have that face-to-face -face interaction. And, you know, if you're going to decide to go fully remote, um, you know, lay on the, or, or for the times when people are out of the office, you know, make sure that there is the mechanisms and the machinery and the technology to bring everyone back in and get people to work collaboratively to maximise the potential of the time in the office uh, and I think, you know, that's that's a that's a, a, a really positive thing. And I think our, all of our eyes have been opened to those possibilities. I just wanted to pick up on a few things you said there, Jeff, about informality, um, the informal communication channels that you mentioned, um, because while re working remotely, of course, we're all connected up through our digital devices and rather formal channels of communication. And in many ways, that's gone much better have been much more effective than anyone would have thought before lockdown began. But perhaps one of the casualties of that have been the informal channels of communication. I think these have almost undoubtedly lost ground. And that can be really important to our efficiency as well. And in some organisations, even to the willingness of staff to speak up when they think something isn't quite right or, or could be done better. So informality carries a potentially very important and positive risk management benefit. And there is a risk in some organisations that you lose that through communicating only in the rather formalised way that seems to gain ground when you're just using technology, just using Teams and, and uh, Zoom calls all the time. So the informality that I think you lose, it can be simple things like a chat in the corridor by the water cooler, in the queue for lunch. We're missing those moments in which senior people and long-standing employees can share some of the unspoken rules and values, which also form part of a company's culture and help to differentiate it in positive ways from competitors. But we're also missing, I think, those moments which give junior staff an opportunity to second guess the orthodoxies they see around them and to add their ideas to a discussion informally. So informal communication channels also have an important role, reinforcing messages that makes a business what it is. Um, and also reinforcing the messages that a business sends through its official channels 
about the right and the wrong way of doing things. So just moving on, how, how do we reinvent social cohesion post-pandemic? I mean, Jeff, you talked a little bit about this already, but what do you think it means for leadership and even corporate purpose? Well, I, I think that with us all a little bit more distributed and, and uh, you know, less present in, in, in one place, those sort of, if you like, informal touch points that you were just mentioning and, uh, if you like, uh, seeing people's values and behaviours in, in the flesh is, is obviously not going to be present all the time. And I think it really makes important the, the, the idea of having clarity from uh, the top, whatever the top means, um, uh, you know, or, 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 or anyone who has any sort of supervisory role, I think needs to give clarity about you know, what it is that you're seeking to achieve in the business. And that comes down in, in, in a big picture sense to corporate purpose. But actually, it can be about delivery of a project and it can be about professionalism and it can be about, you know, the way in which people behave um, one to another. And I think it, the, the role of the leader becomes less the sort of subliminal presence that, you know, people observe and, 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 and look up to or, or, or otherwise. But it actually needs to be much more present um, uh, if, if in fact we're all working in, in different places so that when people are alone and, and let's, let's say it in, in terms, you know, can be isolated from, if you like, the team or the hive mentality, they have clarity of what it is, you know, how to exercise their judgment, what the objectives are, what the direction is in a way that would, would otherwise be supported, if you like, by that sort of informal contact point and uh, ad hoc conversation and bouncing ideas off people. So I think it really makes the the role of the leader and that clarity of vision and purpose even more important now in our distributed world than previously. What do you think, Natalie? Well, I think it's really important to ensure that upward mobility isn't hampered by the new ways of working. And this isn't about altruism. You know, it's good for employee, manager, wider team and the business as it can play a real role in promoting diversity and help retain and engage employees. And so, as Jeff mentioned before, it's really about optimising the time in the office. And that includes in relation to learning and development. When teams are in the office, meetings and work should be focused on matters which can't be dealt with effectively over video call. Focus should be on interactions with colleagues and network building as opposed to head down desk work, which could be done from home. And the key here really is to ensure that people aren't disadvantaged and offered to the extent possible the same opportunities, whether they're working from home or the office, which means communication will be really important. And while I know a lot of us are more than just a little fatigued from uh, video calls, this means we'll all need to continue to make an extra effort to have pre-meetings, debriefs, general catch-ups, whatever it may be, both formal and also those informal lines of communication, which you mentioned, Jan, and ensuring that people can join meetings physically and remotely to help foster inclusion and on-the-job learning. But, you know, this is clearly a very difficult area for businesses to grapple with. And, you know, there's not really a one-size-fits-all model. And do you agree with that, Phil? I mean, is, is there one size that, or one model that works? Or do you think actually lots of different models might work here in the future? Well, if we sort of circle back to what Jeff said a few minutes ago, I, I agree that now is the time for companies' leadership to set the direction of travel. But once that's done, I think that companies should be trying to find a model that does work for the various parts of their workforce, 
we, we now have an opportunity to develop ways of working that cause people from all walks of life, all ages, etc., all roles in the company to perform efficiently and to excel if they can find a way that fits them. And there's such a great variety of working patterns emerging. Not all will be suitable for every business. And I don't think it's safe to assume that everybody either wants to be wholly flexible or wants to return to the office entirely or indeed wants some kind of hybrid. I think that the key is to find a middle ground, recognising the purpose and direction of a company, providing flexibility where it's appropriate, but really setting it up so your workforce can perform to the best of their ability. What does that mean? I think, Jan, each corporate will end up with a unique version of the work models on offer, either fully remote, fully hybrid, somewhere in between. So I guess another question is what this matters for the legal function. What does this mean for in-house lawyers? Um, and of course, this could be the subject of a, an entirely separate and much more detailed podcast, but just some very initial thoughts on this. Um, I mean, I suppose as, as we all return to a different way of working or to a degree of greater normality and predictability, at least this is what we're hoping is going to happen, the legal function will continue to have, in my view, a very special and important role to play in assessing the extent to which the cultural characteristics of their business might increase or indeed decrease legal and regulatory risk in their organisation. Having a strong corporate culture can aid compliance and legal risk mitigation, and that means mitigating negative cultural characteristics that are identified as well as encouraging the positive ones. So I think that as we return to at least some sort of hybrid existence, spending more time in an office environment, these factors will be very important. And particularly for those businesses that go for some sort of hybrid working pattern model, having a clear set of values and purpose could help people, in my view, comply with legal requirements and other aspects uh, that are important to risk mitigation, such as cybersecurity, um, especially while working remotely. But well-organised physical meetings, when we're back in the office, can also help to reinforce what an organisation stands for and make people feel more included in the decision-making processes and make them feel more able to point out risks as they arise. So let's just conclude with a few final thoughts um, looking to the future. What do we think the focus should be at this new stage? Natalie, what do you think? Well, I think just focusing back in on the upward mobility point, communication. Uh, so real focus on communication, ensuring leaders remain accessible and that we try to find ways to offer people the opportunities to develop and progress regardless of their primary physical working location. And Phil, what do you think? For me, it's about striking that balance between, on the one hand, companies performing for their customers, their clients and delivering and on the other hand, making sure that their workforce is brought along, is motivated and feels that they can work in a way that causes themselves personally to have sustainable and productive careers. It's that balance point, Jan. And Jeff, this, I mean, this debate will go on for, for months, if not years. How would you round this off for now? Well, something that I heard uh, which, which worked for me was to remember that what's good for you isn't necessarily good for others and it's not necessarily good generically for your business. So that goes back to the point that Phil was making about there being no one size fits all here. But I think my very last thought is really to emphasise the importance of, of having clarity of corporate purpose because I think that's the you know, really significant you know, north star for people to look to 
when they are uh, when they are working outside of an office environment to help them make the right decisions. Okay, much debate still to come, but thanks very much, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. If you've got any questions about this podcast, um, or anything we've said on it, or would like to comment, please do get in touch with us or with your usual Slaughter and May contact. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.